Live from Brian's Garage Studios, it's Brian and Kevin. Strip in. This could be a long one. We got a lot to go over tonight. Yeah. A lot. Strap in, tune in, drop out, don't really drop out. You know, right before we got started, Kevin and I were, I wouldn't say reflecting, kind of more planning than reflecting on mm-hmm. how many episodes we've done. We're going to be coming up on a big number. And I was thinking, like, we've never actually set out a challenge to the Mad Libs community. Not not for a long, long time. Uh, about, you know, spreading the word that, you know, this community has. Like, having the conversation and, like, you know, kind of letting people know, like, oh, I listen to this one podcast. I, I wonder if we could get to a 1,000 followers before the end of the year probably possible i think it's possible i don't know if we could by episode xyz which is coming up the big one i'm gonna i'm gonna let you talk a little bit about the number but i would love to see just like a huge boom in listeners and followers so if you haven't let let your friends family know that you tune in every now and then to hear these two guys have a conversation you think it's interesting because we're not always completely aligned on our political views. We have some disagreements. We have a lot of agreements. We have just we try to have really thoughtful conversation. I think it's beneficial for the rest of the the world to hear, and, and hopefully you do too. Enough to say, hey, I check check out this Mad Libs podcast. Yeah. Also, another little challenge. This will be a fun one. Mm-hmm. Um, when we Brian and I are planning a 200th episode celebration. It probably won't be on our 200th episode. It'll probably be just after, mm-hmm. uh, based upon our calculations. According to my calculations, uh, metaphorically speaking, we all wear masks. Deep. Yeah, it's from the mask. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do remember. I was like, I've heard this before. <laughs> God, I haven't watched that since fucking 1999. <laughs> uh, it's pre-millennium. <laughs> Um, but uh, we will be doing something. So anybody who wants to tune into that, we would love to know what are some of your favorite episodes? What are some that really got you excited? What are some that you thought were just fun? Uh, do you guys want to see Brian sweat and throw up again and eat some hot wings? Because we're going to. Yeah. We're going to. I better start training again. I know. Well, you trained. I am going to have the same training like I did for the Tough Mudder. I ran once. And then I decided to do an 11-mile obstacle course <laughs> and die. And so I did the same approach to the wings, and I probably will again. No, because I think that what's nice about the wings is that you, you ramp yourself up to it. So, like, even if you're not eating a lot of spicy stuff beforehand, it still it goes up in small increments. Yeah. And then there's the big jump from the second to last to the last, but mm. um, at least in my opinion. Uh, maybe we can get Vince to... Join us off camera again. Yeah, that's the only way I'm doing it. Yeah, I know that uh, uh, Joe, restaurant Joe. Oh, nice. He want he wanted to be a part of something like that too. Okay. Uh, he also told me to give him like three months. Uh, three months notice. Yeah, well, here's three he's, days. He's like, I don't want to sound like an idiot. <laughs> Which Joe, you're not. No, we'll we'll have to have uh, you know the usual crew, you know the the local the, yeah. the wives or if anyone you know screw it if you if we're, wants if we're, to be on if we're live streaming and you're watching, we'll we'll invite you over. Yeah, stop on by. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, and there goes all the fun for the episode. The rest of this episode is not fun. I wouldn't. Well, yeah, it's, it's definitely not fun. Part, it's definitely of, interesting. Parts of it are. And more than interesting, it's important. It's critically important. Uh, As we see the world events, we've spent a lot of time domestically talking about, you know, Roe v. Wade and uh, 
um, inflation and economics and, you know, policies that are getting passed and not getting passed, the midterms. And we're going to take a step back and take a wider perspective and look at the world through a global lens and start to hone in on a major movement that's happening in the Middle East, and that's with Iran. And there's a lot to unpack, and I think it's really, really important that in order to understand where we are with Iran, we really need to understand more about the country and specifically, you know, the United States relationship with it. Um, I know when I was doing research, I came across um, the Council for uh, Council Foreign uh, Foreign Affairs, or sorry, Foreign Relations, and um, they did a really good job of just creating a timeline that was really easy to follow. So I think and in just order critical to, points too. Yeah, and it, we're gonna kind of use that as our guide at least when we go through the historical background of you know our relationship with that country. I think it's important to certainly hammer some of the critical points home a little bit further, but then also start talking about, well, where are we at today and what's happening? Because I'm sure a lot of you listening have at least heard about the protests going in Iran, and perhaps you don't know a lot about it. So we'll try and discuss a little bit more and, and you know, have our usual Mad Libs flair with it. So, do I mean it's? Oh, I didn't know if you're pausing for no, me. So. No, I you're just pausing for dramatic effect. Yeah, I do that. Yeah, you know it's it's important when talking. the The pause can really emphasize a point, and mm-hmm. it also allows the listener to process what you're saying and give them just that that moment for them to process before moving on, and that way they're not getting jumbled up. And mm. I know personally. I sometimes get really ramped up and yeah. I just want to keep going, going, going. And I gotta yeah. Or like not let somebody finish their point when they're trying to explain something yes. to you. Yeah. Yes. You did you, I mean I, I've never I've never personally <laughs> uh witnessed that, but I can I think I can imagine. Yeah, that was literally uh what, fourteen minutes ago, I think it was give or take. Yeah, it was right around eight fifty. We were discussing right before the podcast and uh Yeah. Remember I, Brian, I definitely cut off I give you have two of these. I know. And only one of these. Yeah. But what if I was deaf in one of my ears? Well, then you could do it equally, but you are okay. not. So okay. All right. You're not right. an exception to the rule. <laughs> so. 1953. <laughs> so Iran um, is obviously a, a country in the Middle East located near Iraq and Saudi Arabia, right in that area. Uh, and it, 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 has played a an important role with the United States, especially with its relations in the Middle East. Um, for instance, you know, it was an oil-producing country. So, of course, the United States and in most Western countries wanted to have a good relationship with it. And so the CIA in 1953 decided to assist in throw in in holding a coup and overthrowing um, the powers that be and installing a monarchy that was more western friendly right so the idea was this connection would allow for better economic ties to the area and we would essentially get um a more favorable deal. And of course, you know, within a year or so, uh, there was the oil agreement. And so Iran decides to make a very favorable agreement with Western civilizations, most notably the United States and the United Kingdom, but of course, France and, and Germany as well. And that's really the birth of BP oil. Is it really? Yeah. Fun fact. I did not know that. Yeah. Um, another important aspect was um, Eisenhower... You know, there was a lot of unrest um, in the Middle East. And, of course, we start to see the ramp up of, you know, the Cold War era politics. And um, that starts ramping up in this idea of nuclear power, right? 
nuclear power. And after we see Hiroshima and Nagasaki happen, you know, we, we drop bombs and we see the devastation that occurs. It really made it poignant to all countries how important it was to have nuclear power, but then also make sure no one else, you know, takes that lightly. And so we create an initiative to kind of make sure Iran um, keeps it keeps it at a distance or uh, they, they don't ramp it up fast. Like they, it would take them time to really develop the technology to drop what, a, an atom bomb. Wasn't part of that agreement that um, we would help them develop some sort of like um, nuclear power in exchange for them stopping enriching petroleum? Or, or, yes. Um, enriching uranium. Uranium. Thank yes. You. Yeah. Uh, and then we have OPEC. Now OPEC is Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, and Venezuela. Um, and now, um, you know, Russia has very close ties to OPEC. OPEC is in the news right now because uh, they're kind of at a standoff with the Western powers, specifically uh, Saudi Arabia and Biden are kind of squaring off right now. But OPEC um, was trying to develop a, uh, as a competitor to the Western oil companies. And they did so really quickly. Um, OPEC profits skyrocket. Um, Iran, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia uh, create this incredible windfall of money for the Middle East. I think before this time too, and I, this is something um, that I read at a glance and I could be off on my years, but before this, Iran's you know, uh, GDP with oil was in the millions. And after OPEC, it went straight up to billions mm -hmm. of dollars per year. Yeah. And this is in the late sixties, early seventies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, billions was a, a huge deal. Now we've grown to a level of trillions in order to be, you know, one of the right. world players. But even then, um, billions was a massive amount of money in, in that kind of, you know, if you think if you take that step back and think about the fact that it used to be whole countries were fighting just to make a billion dollars. Mm -hmm. And now we have how many billionaires in the world? Yeah. Like, I mean, they are small countries unto themselves nowadays. Um, if we skip a little bit ahead and you have the Iranian Revolution. Right. So in 1979, um, the people overthrow um the Western installed monarchy that had been there. And we go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to let you finish and then I'll make my point. Um, make my and, point. and we start I'll to see, we start to see a more militant, um, you know, Middle East focused um, organization rise up. Yeah. This is the point where like um, the Shiite, uh, version of Muslim uh the Muslim religion uh is kind of announced to be like the official religion of Iran. Um it's also at this time where uh hijabs become uh mandatory for women. Mm -hmm. There's this very strict dress code. Um and you kind of start to see this very like anti Western uh rhetoric start to form. Yeah, there it gets back to that almost fundamentalist view of Islam. Now like any religion, um, Islam has its beautiful aspects, but then also has its, um, I would say, crippling behaviors, you know, similar to Christianity, Judaism. Like when you start to get into the quote unquote fundamentalist side of most religions, a lot of times they can be very um, crippling or um, I don't know what the word I would be looking for, but essentially they they trap um, power at the top and you see a lot of marginalized people, women, minorities, etc., affected disproportionately. And of course, like um, Kevin said, there was the idea of this fundamentalist view of women being covered. Mm -hmm. um, you know, even today they have the morality police based off of this system. Well, it's not, I mean, they can't go anywhere without, 
you know, their husband or their father. They can't fly anywhere without written permission uh, from the same, you know, from their father, father or from their or their husband. Um, it's it's very stringent, very strict. Um, the way they dress, obviously, very modestly. They have to have their neck covered. Um, and you know, did, uh, before we move on to, mm-hmm. I wanted to say this. Do you know the difference between a Shiite Muslim and a Sunni Muslim? And I know that you, me asking this question, you think there's going to be a joke, but this is actually me being serious. You know, I, used I just to, learned. I just learned. There's, this today. there's actually three, three. There's Shia, Sunni. I can't think of the third in Iraq. Uh, is it the Kurds? Uh, it could be. Yes. Okay. Kurdish Muslims. Yeah. Yes. Go ahead. Um, What's the difference? It's it's who they think the um, who should have taken command after Muhammad. Mm. Um, and I didn't I didn't I never knew that until today. Just learned it. Interesting. Now just power, Brian. Um, so we have this uh, more fundamentalist group. Um, there's also the Hezbollah, which is uh, kind of the radicalized group. Um, I wouldn't say that they were necessary. They were terrorists, but they certainly supported later on down the road terrorism. Um, but there's a group of um, radical Iranian college students, and they take 52 Americans hostage at the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. Um, it goes on for Didn't four. They invade the embassy as well. Yeah, so okay. they they took it over, and it was there was a, a standoff for for over a year. Mm-hmm. Um. And it was it was like all of the coverage, and it was actually um, one of the downfalls of the Carter administration. So, um, looking back at Carter, Carter had a a relatively good administration, mm-hmm. but you know, down uh, towards the end, you saw a spike in inflation. You had some energy gas crisis, and then you had uh, the takeover of the U.S. Embassy in Iran, in Tehran. And that really was what Reagan hammered home and how he was able to push uh, the supply-side economics of everything. Can you imagine being taken hostage for 444 days? Um, no. Like what that's like. I, honestly, I can't. I you know you I, I think everyone when you hear about these tragic stories or you know stories like this where four hundred you know four hundred plus days um, away from family you know not knowing whether or not you're going to stay alive the next day I think is something that few really could imagine. It's similar to like prisoners of war when you when like John McCain was running and you heard his story about how he survived the camps and and all of that or or you hear about you know Auschwitz and in the Holocaust and and you you think about those things and you're like man and I'm not joking like I don't think unless I was like not feeling well I've gone a day with just like not eating but to go weeks on end without you know anything more than water and maybe a little bit of bread it's the uncertainty of everything you know and then yeah working and you know slaving away in in a concentration camp or in this instance you know just being at the u.s embassy thinking everything is fine like the embassies around the world are supposed to be well protected and Mm -hmm. you know um when when things go awry like for instance in benghazi i mean i mean people are still talking about that and so you know the the hostage situation in iran um was incredibly important uh to the american people and this is back when you know people tuned into the news every night i think today's day and age we don't we don't tune into the news You, you don't see uh dads at the morning breakfast table you know mm-hmm. sipping on their coffee before heading off to work and you know reading reading the paper on the daily or, you know, families tuning in, you know, right after, right before, right after dinner and, and, you know, families watching the news and quiet down, go, go play. I I need to watch the news Mm -hmm. like that. That doesn't happen anymore. But during this time, the news was, you know, the focal point of, of life. Like that's what you talked about, you know, some sports, but the news, you know, Walter Cronkite and the Dan Rathers of the world, they, 
were incredibly important in in their reporting and their communication of the news. And so um, this was front and center. And then um, I think another really, really crucial piece to understanding the United States involvement um, with Iran for me was the Iranian, uh, the, uh, the Iran Contra, um, controversy, the scandal, uh, which, you know, Reagan right at the end of his second term, I'm surprised you skipped over the Iran Iraq war. Um, yeah, I mean, that's important. I, I, think, I think it just because the U S uh, backed Iraq and gave them uh, money for military yeah. aid. Yeah. And then they went ahead and used chemical weapons on Iran. Well, and, and, and this is this is one of the things I think with a lot of United States involvement in a lot of different places, right? So, for instance... When will we learn our lesson? Yeah, so Iran, my ex-girlfriend, Iraq... My, my ex-girlfriend... Uh, political girlfriend used to say a lot about regime change wars. <laughs> well, a lot of the times we backed people as, as a proxy, similar to what we're doing with Ukraine, but I I really don't feel this will backfire because we're not doing it with our own um, interest in, in mind, except that we don't like Russia. Uh, in the past, we were doing it to defeat what we thought was an enemy and that was, you know, socialism and communism and, oh, they have oil. So like we backed certain places over others. Um, so like I, you know, the Iran Iraq war. Yeah. We, we took the Iraqi side, um, because we believed in Saddam Hussein to begin with. Similarly, when we armed Afghanistan against the Russians, right. Mm -hmm. We believed in the, I don't believe they were called Al Qaeda at the time, but the Taliban forces, we, we armed them. We, tr and it's not just that we sent a bunch of guns, like, you know, somewhere with the I Iraq, Iran war, we went over and gave them intelligence. We gave them training. It, you know, we gave them a lot of things that would later come back to haunt us because, you know, they knew our movement, they knew our technique. They knew our strategy style. And so not only are we going on the away side, right? We are now fighting on their turf. Um, they are knowledgeable of how we plan to do it. And so, yeah, I mean, it was important. Um, and, and, you know, there's also the, the Beirut bombing. So um, there was... Um, uh, a bombing by Hezbollah. I mean, they, they, it was claimed by another group, but really it was thought to be Hezbollah and it killed 241, uh, United States military personnel, uh, in Lebanon. So, uh, it was, it was deemed a state sponsored act of terrorism in 1984, but something that has interested me more. And, and I've been a very, very vocal opponent of the Reagan administration, was the Iran uh, Contra scandal. And so essentially there was an embargo to sell Iran guns. Like we weren't Any allowed weapons. to. Yeah. Um, but there, there was a situation where basically covertly uh, the Reagan administration was able to sell guns to Iran and then utilize those funds to continue fighting the quote unquote war on drugs in uh, Central and South America, specifically Nicaragua. And the Contras were a very, very far right militant group that was trying to squash a left wing political movement in Nicaragua. So Nicaragua was trying to create and stabilize their government by setting up a socialist environment and Reagan said, well, that's a no go. Um, that's a threat to capitalism. And of course, as one of the greatest beneficiaries of capitalism, he wanted to preserve that and, um, not allow a socialist movement to work. And so they utilized the guns that they sold to Iran essentially illegally, uh, to fund this super, 
right-wing militant group to absolutely squash the movement in Nicaragua. And so the junta, the Sandinistas, were absolutely demolished by the Contras. And so that happens a lot throughout Central and South America um, in the 70s and 80s because of American involvement. Um, You look at Chile uh, with uh, Pinochet. Mm -hmm. He was installed. um, They got rid of Salvador Allende and General Pinochet comes in and rules with a brutal iron fist. Um, We see the dirty war in Argentina. A lot of um, right-wing uprising in Central and South America at this time. And uh, the United States played a, a heavy role in some of those, most notably in Nicaragua with the Iran-Contra. Do you want to? I can jump steps? in whenever, man. Okay. I, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting my points in what okay. I want. You're doing a great job. Okay. I'm I'm guessing you want to uh, skip Operation Praying Mantis. Yeah, I, mm. I don't. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. They're they're important. And um, I mean, it's not it's not really important to talk about the Persian Gulf War either, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, I feel bad. I actually, you know, it's funny. I have I'm kidding. I have um a cousin who, um, just an incredible human being who, who served, um, you know, operation desert storm, which, you know, um, it was, was us overseas in the middle East. And so I hate to, to skip over it, but I, I think there's a lot we still have to cover. Um, I think 2001 is a turning point again with our relations in the Middle East. Uh, after 9-11, um, George W. Bush calls several of the major players in the Middle East the axis of evil. Um, it was during his 2002 State of the Union, um, and he calls um, Iran part of the axis of evil along with Iraq and North Korea. Uh, He establishes that they have um, weapons of mass destruction. Um, They are aiding and abetting Al-Qaeda operatives, um, assisting with Taliban rule, all of these things, um, to which some is true. A lot of it might not be. There's a lot of gray area. Um, Certainly the weapons of mass destruction never really came to fruition. It was Dick Cheney's idea. Yeah. Yeah. The Kevin just watched Vice, which is awesome. It's such a good movie. If you haven't had the chance and you want to yeah. kind of see kind of a really, really good telling of the major players during this time period in the presidential administration, uh, Vice City, which is directed by Adam McKay, who did the big short. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian Bale is um, Dick Cheney, mm-hmm. and boy, does he go undergo a body transformation. Oh, my gosh. He does a fantastic job. Yeah. Role, too. Um, definitely, definitely watch that. It's but, very, yeah, very you know, this is this is something I want to note is within all of that, Saudi Arabia never gets mentioned mm-hmm. during during this time period. And now we're starting to hold Saudi Arabia more accountable, um, especially because we we can trace back almost almost all of the funding came from Saudi Arabia to make 9-11 happen. But we were in such tight relations with Saudi Arabia due to their um, oil exportation. Um, We did not criticize them enough publicly um, because we knew if we did, we might lose that relationship. Unfortunately, that was the choice that the administration made at the time and has since. You know, I think Barack Obama... Uh, might have been critical from time to time, but not incredibly vocal and critical. Uh, Donald Trump was basically buddy-buddy with um, the regime in Saudi Arabia. And it's just now coming out where the United States is starting to push back. Why? Well, we're not getting the oil. So, But to go back, we have the Iraq War. Um, and then um, essentially... I'm just going to, oh, actually, the nuclear deal yeah. is important. So President Obama is able to de-escalate the nuclear tensions that were happening in the Middle East, specifically with Iran. And they created a deal where 
We sent them a, essentially we were buying them. We were buying their piece. We spent a lot of money to have them and negotiate with them a way to de-escalate their, their nuclear arms race that was happening. Um, along with the United States, the, the European Union, the major players, the France, the Germany, the United Kingdom, um, all joined together and create what's called the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, the JCPOA. And it slowed everything down. Was it the, like, was it the best thing ever? Absolutely not. Did we buy it? Yes. We, we bought them off to basically say, here's billions of dollars to just stop. And what it did was it, if they wanted to ramp up, it was going to take much longer. So we would have time to react. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really, really important. Um, there was opposition from both sides, both Republicans and Democrats, mainly Republicans, but some Democrats were opposed to this. But in general, um, it halted everything. It kind of brought some stability back and de-escalation um, to the tensions. And I think that was really, really important. Until 2018. So Donald, Donald Trump, Trump pulls out. Um, and Puts a bunch of sanctions uh, to kind of pressure Iran. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, really, the only people that, that enjoyed this um, was probably like Saudi Arabia, um, Israel, um, and the Republicans, too. Um, but I mean, it really created some, like, uh, you know, a pretty big escalation, uh, as far as, um, uranium, uh, uranium enrichment. And so, you know, one thing that we know is, like I said, the Trump organization, or sorry, the administration was, <laughs> was a little Freudian slip. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the Trump administration was very friendly with the Saudi administration. Um, there were plans to build, you know, Trump hotels in Saudi Arabia and Russia. So he was in with some of these authoritarian rules, rulers. And one thing that Saudi Arabia actually would want, and surprisingly so, is destabilization in the Middle East. Why? Because their source of income, their major source of economic growth was oil. And if there's destabilization in the Middle East, and the United States isn't directly accessing the oil, um, they control the marketplace. OPEC gains you know, the upper hand again. And so uh, Trump pulling out, basically the European Union said, well, we're still in it. We would appreciate Iran to stay you know, with it. But the United States being the major player that it is, it destabilized um, the whole um, agreement. And therefore, it basically went into non-existence. And there was nothing stopping Iran from ramping up and, you know, starting to arm themselves uh, with nuclear power again. Uh, the Biden administration to this day is still trying to figure out how the Jipakoa, um can bring back that stabilization that the, Iran- the Iranian uh, missile agreement had on the on the area correct me if i'm wrong um but isn't the one of the only gosh i'm trying to i've been reading information on the ukraine and on this simultaneously Mm -hmm. so i could have this backwards and you can let me know but isn't the one of the only like fully functioning nuclear power plants in iran uh russian built that would make sense I mean, so it's in southern Iran, I believe, you know, one of the things that uh, the Reagan administration argued about going back a a few steps because I didn't talk about it. um, One of the things that the Reagan administration felt the reason for doing some of the gun deals was it kept the Russians out of the gun deals. If they were taking our guns, it's better than them taking Russian guns. Right. If we're the friends of of the family then the family's going to favor us when it comes to oil markets and stuff like that. Yeah, it's in um, Boucher. I could be pronouncing that wrong, but Boucher province, Iran, built, okay. built by Russia. Yeah, so there you go. Um, but Russia had a massive impact on the Middle East. And, and you know, that that's the thing. When you're one of the major powers, everyone wants to say, like, oh, the, the United States shouldn't be the world police. And I fully agree. But the problem is, is there's going to be... Uh, 
I, I think we've shied away from colonialism uh, for quite some time, but the and, and true imperialism, but there's still that imperialistic nature of nation states like the United States, Russia, et cetera, China, where they want to have major influence now. You don't have direct control. You're, you're no longer colonizing areas. You cannot take over, even though Russia is trying to exhibit that you can in Ukraine. Um, but you can still have a sphere of influence, as they say. You can still have influence on policy, you know, diplomatic uh, efforts, you know, the way they interact militarily, and then, of course, economically with oil. Um, skipping over uh, a couple of other things. Um, actually, um, so Trump pulling out, not not a, a good idea. In 2020, of course, uh, Donald Trump, t- and he took a lot of credit for this, um, had the United States military kill Qasem Soleimani. Uh, he bragged about it in the 2020 campaigns and during the debates uh, with Joe Biden that his efforts killed Soleimani. He thought it was a really great thing that he did. Um, but obviously, um, this is a a big, big deal. Um, it puts everything on high alert. Um, Iran actually shoots down a Ukrainian passenger plane thinking uh, it could be another U.S. attack. There were multiple attacks on U.S. bases uh, in Iraq. Um, Iraqi and U.S. personnel were injured, but I don't believe there was any deaths, um, at least not to my knowledge. Um, so, obviously, there's still some efforts to create a relationship to de-escalate and not uh, destabilize any further. The problem is, and this is finally getting kind of coming full circle on everything to what we originally said is the protests happening in Iran. The destabilization of Iran right now is not coming from a United States backed effort. This is not a Western backed effort. This is from within. This is a group of people that have been oppressed finding their voice. And I think that's something that is very exciting when an oppressed people starts to find their voice is a time of change and a time for progress. It usually does not come easy because those that oppress usually have a lot of power, either politically or militarily a lot of power and so we are seeing the two sides come to a collision course now yeah and i mean really it started back in september if i'm not uh mm-hmm. mistaken mm-hmm. um a young muslim woman or uh, iranian woman was picked up um by the uh, morality police masa amini mm-hmm. she was 22 years old yes whole life ahead of her Picked up for supposedly not wearing her hijab correctly. Uh, She's taken to, um, I believe they call them, uh, oh gosh, it's something like retraining camps. Yes. um, Where they're trying to, you know, show these women how they should be acting, according to them. Um, Gets brought there, and uh, here's where the story gets a little fuzzy, but she dies in their custody. Um, She's beaten she's uh i mean obviously to the point of death um and it starts this it sparks this revolution now it's unfortunate that it took that to to get this thing moving i'm sure you know there was small factions of it before um but now it's to the point where there's there's protests all over the place not just in iran but i mean all over the world right now um and it's women standing in solidarity um trying to to make change um you know, like I mentioned earlier, the, 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 the rules for women are so oppressive and so strict uh, in Iran right now that it's just, uh, it doesn't make for a, uh, doesn't make for a good time, Brian. No. And, you know, there there's video that has come out since um, of Masamini. She was um, 
wearing a hijab that day. It was in, um, that was in the camp, and mm-hmm. she's and it. And, um, there was a uh, Iranian American uh, reporter that was talking about this, and she was saying like, it, you know, there's nothing wrong with the way or with what she's wearing in this. Um, but to the same at the same time, you you have the uh, Iranian government starting to try to patrol the internet and also control the internet mm-hmm. in Iran, so that not only can people not get their their social media. Um, you know, updates out there. Um, so the world can see, but they're also trying to, um, paint a different picture for the Iranian people and for the world where they're showing these videos of, um, her having like a, a heart attack yeah, at the facility. And then, yeah. um, claiming that, uh, I think there was, there was another video that they had made where they blurred out the woman's face saying she was her, mm-hmm. uh, and she was fine. And she was apologizing <laughs> for, what she did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 uh, propaganda at the highest uh, degree. You know, it's something that is very interesting. We've had a lot of protests in America over the last few years, um, and I think what happened to this young woman, like you said, is an absolute tragedy. You know, and it it essentially became this catalyst for a movement. Um, very similarly, when we, when we look at the, the George Floyd murder, you know, original reports where, Oh, he actually had a lethal amount of fentanyl in his system. He, um, you know, was resisting arrest and, and acting out. And, you know, all of these different reports started coming out to protect the police officers. And then, slowly but surely those erode over time and and of course we've had justice served you know to to um former officer chauvin um and you know he has since gone to jail and is serving time etc 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 but similarly the iranian government came out and said um you know she didn't die of the baton striking her head. It was a heart attack. A 22-year-old woman died of a heart attack, um, which could happen. Don't get me wrong. But there was nothing really there um, in, in terms of evidence that this was the case. And so between the act itself, the, the tragedy itself, but then also the efforts to cover it up, you have this catalyst of of a moment that spurs people to action and like like heaven said this wasn't just a moment in iran this was a worldwide moment because it started with just a bunch of women right women were taking off their hijabs they were cutting their hair they were standing in the in the town centers right and and yelling and protesting and this isn't like america where it's almost an honorable thing to protest one way or another right to to state your case to the public and get on your soapbox and speak about politics or economics or what you believe whether it's you know you're you're fighting for the the common man or you're fighting for you know the kkk and the white man you have the right to speak freely in this country and and do so and it's not like that in iran and yet here were all these women standing up and then well and just to elaborate on your point too that because I, I think it's important to note um it's not not only is it you know um not viewed honorably there but um i believe the the death toll uh because in, into these crowds you've got police uh, both in uniform and in civilian clo- clothes, uh, firing live rounds, firing uh, mustard gas. Or mm-hmm. not mustard gas, I'm sorry. Uh, tear gas, that would have been bad. Uh, yeah, mustard gas would have been real bad. Yeah, that would have been real nasty. Um, so, I mean, people who have been protesting have been killed. And then you also see uh, a very large number of them being arrested and serving these these long sentences for for protesting against the government. The The great thing to see, though, is... Like I said, it, it started out with, you know, women coming together and slowly but surely more men, um, children uh, have also fought back. I, I watched a video of these um, 
the kids take ripping out the pictures of the supreme leader. No, I saw that. That was that, oh, I did see that. But which I was any thinking, country whose whose person in charge is called the supreme leader? It's never been a good. It's thing. Never been good. Um, sorry, the, Iran. There no. was a school, and they were trying to block the women from coming in, and the women weren't going to be able to get in. You had these, you know morality police these big guys and they were putting up a blockade slowly but surely the the crowd swelled and all these men started pushing through with these women and they bulldozed through the entrance essentially and overtook the school like they wanted to make sure that these women weren't going to be able to be in the school system right and so if we look throughout time the great equalizer has always been education and that's something that's so important to acknowledge. Like Fr- Frederick Douglass said that, you know, when we were moving away from slavery, like the, the most important thing for a black man is, is to get his education because that is going to be the great equalizer down the road. Similarly, you know, they, they recognize these men that were protesting were like, it's not just about women not having to wear hijabs. It's about women achieving equality. And one of the first ways to do that is through education. So they pushed their way into the schools, and it was it was the most badass thing I've seen, and and uh, just just a display of unity. And for all the criticism that social media gets, I think one of the most interesting parts is I first found out about this on TikTok a couple of weeks ago. I was scrolling through, and I and I um, it, it was actually probably five or six weeks ago, I think it, this started about six and a half, seven weeks ago. And I think a week into it, I was like, wait, why is this woman cutting her hair? She was sitting on, on a ledge mm-hmm. and she ripped off her hijab and she started cutting off her hair. She was some, um, not a public figure. I think she was a journalist and, and it just sparked everything and people started really getting behind it. But yeah, um, it's, it's incredibly, it's an incredibly powerful movement. And I think this is one of the reasons we have social media. This is like one of the real positive reasons we should have social media for all of the negatives that it provides the body image issues and bullying and shit speaking that can happen. This is one of the, the reasons we need it is so we can unify the world for a common message and for a common cause and bring people together and, and educate them in a way that's going to benefit the greater good. Um, but to go back to what you were talking about, Kevin, um, how scary and dangerous these protests have become uh, due to the lethal force being used by the morality police, Iranian forces, etc. Um, according to a Norway-based group called Iran Human Rights, uh, they said uh, about 200, over 200 people have died, including 23 children have died at the hands of the security forces. So it's not like, oh, they're getting trampled. Or I think Washington th- Post reported about the same numbers. Yeah. Um, so it's not like, oh, something bad happened. Like, oh, there was a trampling and people you know died because of the protest itself. Um, a lot of times the, you know, pol- the the politicization of these movements can be very dangerous as well as how they're regarded in the media. And one thing that'll happen is it'll, in order to, you know, force people to kind of disregard the movement, um, they'll downplay its purpose or provide the damage that it's done. And so the 200 people were not caused a death by the protesting itself. It was at the hands of the Police. security forces. Yep. I was going <sighs> to pull a data quote there. Data from uh, Star Trek. No. Oh, from the Goonies. Oh, okay. That's what I said. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it truly is. It's an incredible situation. Um, most of the the Iranian people that I've heard talking about it, um, you know they're happy about the you know this this start of something that could cause good progress but they're not very hopeful too i mean look back in 2009 there was the protests in 2009 in iraq to, or in iran as well mm-hmm. uh that was over a 
uh, I think a presidential election though. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I, I mean, I'm really hopeful. What's nice that you see here too, though, is that it's not just people wanting to like get rid of these, these laws about, um, women having to dress a certain way and be followed by whoever or follow whoever, um, and have to get consent to, to travel, uh, anywhere. Um, it's also people who like are pro hijab that are saying what happened here is terrible and something needs to be done. Mm -hmm. Um, so you do see some sort of a, I don't know if you would call it a, a bipartisan effort, but that's what I'm going to call it. Um, which is, is definitely a good thing. I think that's a step in the right direction in and of itself. And so, you know, there's, there's other efforts. It's funny. I was, I was reading about these hackers. Uh, oh, they, that's, that, that's where I, I read about the, uh, the nuclear power plant. Yeah. They, yeah. they hacked into the nuclear power, not to steal your No, no, no go for it. But they, they, they hacked into, and there is a group that has, uh, um, uh, taken claim for it and it's the black something black reward nailed it. Okay. Black Reward is the name of the group. Yes, that, that's, Black Reward. Uh, that has um, taken credit for this, and they basically have said, they, they went in, they hacked the emails for this nuclear power plant um, that, I, like I was saying earlier, it's in southern Iran, um, and they got a hold of a whole bunch of information, and it made, they made it available, and it's on. it must be on some sort of social media platform that I'm not aware of, but it's called, um, I think it's in this article, Bri. Um well, while Brian looks that up, they basically posted all of this information, and it's got, I mean, detailed plans on things. Yeah, it's uh, like all their nuclear plans. Yeah. It's absolutely, absolutely incredible. Um, it doesn't say where this group is fun from that hacked into it. I do know that uh, Iran wants to kind of blame uh, the U.S. and Yeah, they're, they're saying that a lot of – they're saying that both the movement itself – as well as the hacking is coming at the hands of the United States. Um, essentially, they want it to be that it's not it's not the fault of the government. You're being manipulated, right? Um, you know, we've experienced that ourselves with the the R Russian manipulation during the 2016 and 2020 elections, um, where a group wants to continue to destabilize a um, you know, a, a, a country. And so Iran, in order to stabilize it, is pushing the blame. But really, unlike the United States, this is completely at the hands of its people. This is not coming from the influence. Now, I think the social media efforts um, have been aided. So like Twitter and Facebook are essentially, you know, they're American companies, but I don't think there was necessarily a push or any manipulation happening in order to kind of brainwash people. These were people making their own conscientious decision to oppose their government and do so accordingly. And, and, you know, the um, hackers originally were trying to, uh, have the Iranian government, you know, essentially acknowledge the wrongs that they were doing. Um, they have since um, not. So the hackers did release all, all of this, I believe, onto some sort of network. Yeah, I'm looking for it right now. It had a strange name because I, I, I was going to Google it when I was doing research. Well, I know you're a Reels guy. Was it on TikTok? No, it wasn't. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was on some sort of a platform. I couldn't remember if it was the Reuters article that I was reading or something else. Um, but I mean, either way, I wish I knew how to hack. Oh, I think it would be amazing to be to have that kind of power because you know the the digital world is where everything is. Telegram now. is the name of the the the, or the service that they put it up on. Oh, gotcha. Which, you know, with a quick little... Publish on Telegram. Yeah, it's right there. I just missed it. I thought it was like a British... Uh, I thought the same thing. Media I, was like, like I a, was like, Jesus Christ, like they don't the have UK telephones? Telegram. No, I thought it was like uh, the, UT, the UK Telegram, like the Daily Herald. Oh, okay, okay. Um, oh, it's a messaging service. Like WhatsApp? Yeah, it looks like it. Hmm, interesting. Hmm, yeah, it's a messaging service. Very interesting. It'll be very interesting to see 
how everything plays out. How everything plays out. Um, You know, at the same time, Iran is actually just having a crisis of what it is. Meaning, like, like Kevin said, if you have a supreme leader, there's a problem with your actual system. And I yeah, think, I think this is what's for over 30 years. Yeah, this is what's being called into question now is wait, we have these morality police, which is absolute bullshit. Mm-hmm. They did an injustice and there's no justice being had. And therefore, what is this whole system? It's a broken system and we're being oppressed by the system. We need to change the system. And this is something like when I saw the George Floyd protests here in America, I was very supportive of the protests and even, you know, I I hate to say like the rioting, like I don't want to see anyone get hurt and I don't want to see anyone lose their business. But essentially you have to, you have to be very aggressive in your push for change. Otherwise you lose all the momentum. I don't think there's ever cause for violence, but yes. Uh, I do think well I'll, I'll put it this way nothing has ever led to massive change without it unfortunately mm, I think it's a slippery slope that you it, walk on sir okay but I mean if you can where identify just make if sure, you can just, identify just a time Brian, like the front what where, just where your non slips okay okay that's all I'm asking you're brother. fair you're, that's fair um, I don't I don't ever want to see people get hurt I don't ever want to see people have to resort to violence or anything like that. All I will say is, I think there's, I mean, there's definitely a time for it. I mean, obviously, American Revolution, duh. right? Civil rights like, movement, like you had to endure a lot of violence and you had to push back. And it wasn't until Malcolm X and the militant and the Black Panthers and stuff when they when it started getting militant, then all of a sudden it was time to start negotiating. Um, I do want to say um, before we go off tangent here, okay. Um, that when you're talking about the supreme leader, I believe that the way that it works too, because even though they are a democracy technically on paper and only on paper, it seems like, yeah, um, it's not like the checks and balances that we have here in the U S or in other democratic countries. Um, even if things get through their parliament and you know, the president agrees with it, the supreme ruler has the ability to put a kibosh on anything. Yeah. And essentially, instead of like a true voting system, it's kind of like this manipulation where it's almost handed down, similar to like not quite as clear cut as a monarchy back in, you know, for those of you watching Game of Thrones and Dragon of Thrones or House of Dragons, uh, or you look back to actual monarchies like in England, where there's this quick, you know, very clear cut handing down of, well, you're the next in line. But there is kind of this shady process that happens. And I think that's another reason for this um, protest happening is just like the whole system is broken and now is the time to start enacting change. And hopefully, you know, with the momentum gathered, um, you know, after the death of this young woman and and the the movement of men and women coming together to end this morality police and allow people to live their lives maybe they'll realize that you know it's good to live your life but if the system will always be there to oppress you you need to break that system well and i think the iranian people put up for it with it for so long too because it's like okay yeah i'm not it's just like here in the u.s where it's like yeah i'm not super satisfied with who's running the country or how it's being run but like i'm doing okay i i read an article about a um a woman and her husband who owned a shop and they had just kind of gotten to this point of being you know upper middle class and they own several properties and things like that and now with everything that's going on um you know, and not only that, but I mean, in, in Iran right now, I don't know if you read this, but they've got, they've had a fifty percent inflation. Yeah. Uh, within, I can't remember the time frame, so I'm not going to uh, blurt something out. But now it's like, not only is the leadership terrible, but now everybody's hit hard times. So it's like, it's easy to you know have one without the other. Like, okay, our leader's doing a good job, but we're not you know, where we need to be, but we'll get there. Right. Um, Or it's like, yeah, the leader kind of sucks, but at least I'm making good money. Um, So I think that that's one thing that's going to add a little bit of fuel to this fire. But, you know, only time will tell. 
Um, and I know we say that a lot, but it's it's like anything else politically or uh, with foreign affairs. Things take time to evolve and to uh, come to fruition. So I think that, uh, you know, I, I'm going to remain hopeful, um, but we, we, we'll see. Hopeful that there will be positive change. Oh, yeah. I, I hope so as well. You know, I think it, it'll be interesting if it does. Um, like I said, you know, there are there are political powers on both sides trying to fight this out and in, in almost by proxy, right? Um, the United States and, you know, there was huge protests in the United States in support. There was a massive one, I think, just yesterday in Berlin, Germany, um, in support of you know, the, the women and, and well, the men as well, but the women really trying to make change in Iran. And so hopefully they're able to topple this regime in a way that sets them up for success. Uh, but as, as, um, King George says in Hamilton, you know, what comes next? Yeah. Right. So it's, it's one thing to get rid of, bad people in the political system. It's another thing to then install a government that works and have the right people in the right position because, you know, bad people um, find themselves in certain positions and that's fine, get rid of them. But there are other people gunning for that same role who are just as bad, if not worse, right? The devil you know is is better than the devil you don't. And so it's, it's really going to be... Uh, an eventful time. I think the whole world is going through. Like you said, there's you know 50 percent inflation. I I saw. I think it's Turkey. Turkey is going through an 83 percent inflation mm-hmm. rate right now. Um, you know still the United as, States when still you look not as bad as Zimbabwe. So really, when they had to have the, uh, the oh tr- when they had to the, the trillion the, dollar bill. Yeah, yeah. Or I think it was a billion dollar bill, but the. Yeah, their whole currency collapsed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the entire world, you know, the United States is like, oh my God, the inflation's so bad, and and it and it is, and and truly, I think everyone is starting to really feel the impacts. Like you're able to postpone those impacts for only so long, and then you know your savings run dry, your credit cards max out, and you know you're just in bad position, and you're still having to buy the the goods, you know, the, the milk at an inflated rate, the bread for an inflated rate. You're not just buying sports cars and oh, all these things are so inflated. It's the daily things that you have to, uh, take into account, right. With the consumer price index. And so 8% is, is really, really high, but we're one of the lowest in all of the, the major countries around the world in terms of the inflation that we're suffering from. So, uh, but Iran is is at a very very high level, and I think, you know, the injustice being served politically and uh, within and socially. Well, you also add in the economic disasters, and you're right. I think they're that that definitely makes people poised for change. Yeah. Um, one other thing that I came across, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention. Um, at least one of the documents seized by the FBI during Iran's missile program, um, or I'm sorry, at least one of the documents seized by the FBI uh, describes Iran's missile program uh, from the raid on Mar-a-Lago. Mm. So, interesting. But, um, yeah, anything else that you want to touch on before wrapping up? I know this was a long one. No. No? No. Um, appreciate you all spending some time um, hopefully we covered everything. We captured the historical aspects to this, the emotional social aspects of it as well. Um, I don't think either of us really <clears throat> can, um, eloquently state exactly what it must be like for those people on the ground doing the protesting and, facing the oppression face to face um toe to toe and continue to do so on a daily basis you know fighting for their right to live um but i know personally and i'm sure kevin's in agreement we're we're wishing them all the best hopefully 
you know, in a month or so we get to cover some really, really um, good things uh, coming out of Iran. Maybe some major changes, but we'll see. Yeah. <sighs> nice job. I think I think it was good. Um, like I said at the beginning, if you've made it this far, you're an hour and five minutes in, minus the thirty minute thirty second song. Um, please share. Uh, continue to help us grow our community, uh, your community, because you're a part of it. Uh, the Mad Libs community. We're we're excited about continuing this process on as we get closer and closer to two hundred episodes. Um, I think only like one percent of podcasts even make it to more than fifty episodes. So we've done actually probably well over 200 if you include live streams and all that but with that said um we're just thankful that you're here so um spread some support but also send some positivity over to iran uh do good be great love you guys love you. Break the rules, can't stay on beat. Making moves, running through the streets. A to Z, follow my lead. Saint the status quo, this is rock and roll. This is skydive, yellow, now ride them This is bye bye, ta ta, audio. This is all or none, this is all I know. This that I don't know where you try and go. I don't even know, I'm just trying to roll. Me and my friends trying to hit the road, trying to catch a wave.